0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Real Estate with Howard Drew For those who don't know me, I'm one of the co-founders, along with Arthur Bartram and Ron Petticord, of the largest independent real estate brokerage in Canada with over 5,300 agents. Along with that, I've been a member of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board of Directors. I've also been on the Board of Directors of the Real Estate Council of Ontario, RICO, which is the regulator for all real estate agents in the province, And I sit on the board of the company I co-founded. If you're interested in finding out more about my own background, the first episode on our podcast is called Intro. It's an audio episode, but it talks about my journey to success and the challenges I had along the way. All the other episodes you can listen to on YouTube, and those are video episodes. This isn't your typical real estate podcast. Uh, We'll be interviewing and talking to real estate agents, brokers, uh, people in in pre-construction, developers, people who market pre-construction, media people, uh, lawyers, uh, and people we find fascinating who may not be in real estate but just have had an interesting career and have, have done what all the other guests have done, which is overcome roadblocks, setbacks, rejection, failures, and still had that trajectory straight up, maybe up and down a bit, but to get to be success. Uh, my own background is I was a real estate agent for 20 years, uh, before starting the company that I did. And then as the company grew, uh, I would become the manager of the different branches. And then sometime after that, I was also president and broker of record. So um, along the way, one of the things I found interesting is the most, one of the most important things in a real estate brokerage is the people, the agents. And my role was to interview and to hire people along the way. Uh, over the time that I, that I uh, was active in the company, I hired over a thousand people. Uh, With new people, after a while, I could really tell the ones that I thought would do well. There was an enthusiasm. um, There was an energy. There was some kind of a spark that I thought would relate well to their clients. And then the other side of the coin were people transferring for other other brokerages. And that was just really flattering to the company because they were leaving brands that were perhaps a little more well-known or a lot well-known and came to us because they felt it was more value. And the brand had now reached a level where they thought it would help them as well. So that, that's my own background. Um, today's guest is, uh, is Jonathan Griffiths and I've known Jonathan for, for many years. He's, uh, he's a real estate lawyer, uh, he's a terrific guy. Uh, he has a fascinating family and I, I asked Jonathan to talk about his family before we get into stories about Jonathan because um, there isn't an unsuccessful sibling in Jonathan's world. So, Jonathan Griffiths, I'm going to turn it over to you, and let's let's talk first about your family, and then we'll move on to you.
1: Well, Howard, we have to first talk about you. I mean, you're you've been so successful that uh, I I feel I feel in awe of your presence. But you know, the thing I always feel most in awe about you, Howard, is you're always so perfectly turned out, so beautifully dressed, such a fashion <laughs> plate, and it's. Uh, it's it's so nice because most people dress so badly now, but you're just a a, a tremendous uh, icon for for right at home with the uh, with the way that you turn out yourself out, dress so well, speak so well. You're always so so nice to everybody. You're always so eloquent when you speak. So um, you're just a very very impressive person in in, in my book. So. Well, I, I often think I, I want to dress like Howard. Well,
0: listen, thank you so much, Jonathan, because this is the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I think we're both very professional, and I think that's why we, we relate so well. I mean, you you come into the offices ready, ready to do what you're doing. You're doing training. Um, if you're working with agents, looking at you, you dress professionally. This is a time when people are, you know, living in sweatpants and sweatshirts. So I think we always got along, uh, although we didn't talk a great deal, but we've known each other for many years, and, and, uh, and I'm really delighted to have you on this podcast. Um, so, okay, let me turn it back to you. Um, you really do have a very successful family. I mean, your, siblings, your, uh, your children. Um, so, all right, go ahead and try to be equally complimentary to each child so that when they see this, they won't be mad at you. That's your challenge.
1: Well, I guess I can uh, tell you a little bit, but I have to start off by telling you they have an absolutely amazing mother, um, extraordinarily disciplined, successful, an absolutely great mentor for them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think there's, there, was, there was used to be an Italian thing, uh, don't ever disappoint your mother. <laughs> um, and, and I think I think that's probably the first thing in the consistency is that uh, they've had such a great example from their mom, who's uh, um, if if there was a, a a choice between writing a book chapter for or getting a book chapter finished or an article or for a medical textbook um, and helping one of the kids get their uh, Get their school project done. She'd pick off the editor of the of the medical textbook to help the kids. So that's the the uh, the children always the children always came first, um, and she's always been totally dedicated to them. Um, so so she always said that I was as immature as the children were. Right. So uh, I can't. I can't, all, all I can do is, if there's any success, all I can do is is tell you about, uh, Anne's success with the kids. Um, but we've been, we've been extremely, we've been extremely fortunate with them. So we have, we have four. Um, the oldest is, is called Gerald. Um, Gerald is a labor and employment lawyer. Um, and he's a partner in a, a boutique, uh, Labor and employment firm. Um, then we have so he's the oldest. the The next lawyer is uh, is is our third, which who is Malcolm, and um, Malcolm Malcolm watched his brother be terrified in uh, McCarthy, uh, Tetro and uh, in the big firm system, and uh, so. I've been very fortunate. Malcolm's come and, and worked with me, mm-hmm. um, and he's just—it's terrific—and and it's especially at my advanced age. It, it's absolutely fabulous. Where some of my colleagues are are, are starting to wind down, that uh, we we have a a built-in succession plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, super fortunate with uh, with Malcolm. The clients all seem to love him, um, and he, he's just doing a great job. Um, then, uh, our youngest is, uh, our youngest is, uh, a doctor. He's, um, he's 27. He, uh, I guess he graduated when he was 24. Um, he's a surgery resident, uh, in general surgery. And then, uh, this year he's, uh, He's gone to business school in. Uh, he's gone to business school in France. the same business school as his sister went in. Uh, basically, what was happening was with with COVID that uh, they cancelled all the operations, so there really wasn't much going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was an ideal time to go away. Um, so he he basically had two choices. One of them was. To go the traditional method, and to uh, they have some great postgraduate courses in at Harvard. They got into Harvard, but he didn't go. Instead of that, he's taken a totally different, uh, totally different tack, which is is like a, just a regular business school, um, and the the idea being that the morons who've messed up our health system are, are the ones. Who've been taught by these Harvard guys, hmm. um, and, and we really need we need a fresh approach of, of uh, to to try and get our our health system going better. So so that, that's why he that's why he's in France. And I got an email from him today, um, and uh, they're uh, they're working on uh, um, with recurring diseases. You know they you have sometimes you've got something wrong with you uh, and and it's a foretaste of something else coming like follow-up problems um, so they're developing some AI to hmm. to put into medical programs so that it'll warn the doctor hmm. hey listen this this guy's going to recur at such and such likely to recur at such and such a time or he's going to have some other complication hmm. and it'll bring it to the minds of the uh, of the doctor so it's it's kind of a it's an innovative approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he's uh, he's our youngest, he's twenty seven. and then um, Joanna is uh, our second oldest. Um, and she went to she went to this business school in France called Inciad. Um, and it totally transformed her. Um, just an absolutely fabulous school um and uh I could tell you briefly what happened she uh it's very entrepreneurial um and they have an a, they have a contest for entrepreneurs every every uh, every year um and so she came up with a concept and it's it's basically that uh, women leak um at a certain age um and, At that stage, you either used the pens or, uh, or, or or you didn't use anything. Um, so the idea was to create underwear with a pad in it, which would, which you could then wash, I think, 200 times. Um, so anyway, she, that was the beginning of this, uh, of this concept. Um, and now it's, she, she started the business, um, and, and it's, it's all online. Well, actually, she has, she has two stores, uh, but it's basically online. Um, and it's, it's much more than, it's called Nix, K-N-I-X. Um, and it's much more than just, uh, underwear at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, she's been super, super fortunate. Uh, huge number of ups and downs, but at the moment, uh, being online in the pandemic is a—it's a pretty nice position to be in. Well, she, so,
0: yeah, I mean, Joanna, you, your sons—I mean, everybody that we've interviewed have have found a way to take that trajectory to success, where it is up and down and up and down, and just keep going, right?
1: And oh, absolutely. And we—we we had our—we've been so fortunate. We had our best year ever last year, mm-hmm. um, but we just decided we were going to keep going and no excuses. Um, so that's what we did. Um, so I started off when I was just in the office, I started off wearing sloppy clothes. And then, then I remembered Howard and I had to look professional. So, so I, I, I got up every morning. I came to the office uh, and I dressed up, um, just like it was, just like it was normal business. And, and we just kept, we kept going. Um, yeah, super fortunate. well,
0: you know, for, for absolute transparency, the only time I come out of sweats these days is when we do the podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's my real world right now. But, you know,
0: nobody sees me at home and I'm bo- mostly on the computer, I'm not doing uh, Zooms as much. Ah, uh,
1: uh, well, well what, what a change. We're, eh? we're seeing a lot of, or oh, I see a lot of quiet still. Yeah, we have we have plexiglass, We have uh, really. wiping everything down. Yeah, the uh, the two doctors in the family uh, police me all the time. So good, good. Uh, we're we yeah. Okay, we're, we've been very fortunate.
0: So good. So when before we started the podcast, there, there was the opportunity for me to talk about the, your 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 children and their success, or there was the opportunity for you. And I thought if I talk about it. I won't get it right, and they'll be blaming you. But if you talk about it, you may not get it right, and they'll still be blaming you.
1: Yes, I know, <laughs> Howard. That you really—I thought you were my friend, but you really threw me in and on this one. Well,
0: I you did great. So let's 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 assume they'll say the same thing. So now let's talk about Jonathan. Um, tell me, and these are things that influence. Well, in this case, we talked about your kids influenced by uh, the parents. What, what were your uh, when you grew up, your influences from your own family? Your background?
1: So oh, um, hardworking parents, um, and this is this this is kind of a psychological thing I probably shouldn't even tell you. Um, but through a series of circumstances, um, partly, because my father's my father's a minister and his, uh, his theological his, his theology professor who was a friend of his, was the he was the minister of York Minster Park Baptist Church um, and he was also the chaplain at Upper Canada College. So he uh, he essentially had coffee with my parents uh, when they were in when well, they came in Canada. Canada to look at the church, um, he, he took them up, they were at the park plaza. took them up Avenue Road straight into uh, Upper Canada College and uh, the, he told the, the, the principal that my father was a good guy so I was probably all right, so, so they let me in on the spot. Um, um, but at that stage it was an extremely rich school. Um, and, and, and I was kind of the poor kid from the wrong side of the tracks. So, so I think part of me has been trying to catch up from, from being behind, from being the, from being the, the, the poor kid. Um, so, so I suspect that's been a fair bit of, of, uh, of what's driven. Uh,
0: it, it, well it's it's interesting because i you know when we talk to people about their their uh, their backgrounds and their family um i have yet to meet anybody who who were were not driven to succeed because of how they grew up in other words we're not interviewing people that started out being successful they're people that started out who had to find their way to success and to me that's the more interesting story
1: yeah it's funny like i when i was there it was it was different because now now at that school it's it's multicultural. there are lots of people there who are there because they're smart um as opposed to being rich and it was way cheaper when I went like when I went, it was about a thousand dollars a year now it's maybe forty ish um but I can still remember one you know they went around the class and uh the teacher asked, What do you want to do and um I, I said, I want to be a lawyer, and some some guy picked, picked, picked up and said, Chris, you're not smart enough to be a lawyer. You'll never be a lawyer. you're like, you're an idiot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, and, and it's it's funny because I see this, I still see this guy. Wow. Uh, he ended up being a lawyer at McCarthy's and then at uh, Miller Thompson. He's a tax lawyer. Yeah. but I still see this guy. and every time I see him, I'm sure he's forgotten. But, I, you know, I have to thank him so much for kicking me in the teeth and making me, making me a better person because there was no way I was going to get put down like that. Good so. for you. I mean,
0: I, I, think I love these stories because, you know, my, my own journey has been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of failures. Uh, until, I, until I did the intro, I actually didn't realize how many times I had to pick myself up and keep going. And I think that's why I appreciate when we have these guests their stories are so interesting and I can relate, which is one of the things I guess why why I enjoy doing these so well so so good what about this every career is built on in my opinion three really important things luck, persistence, and hard work uh, how would you rate those in your in your career as a lawyer um, well luck luck's
1: an interesting one um I I never like I when I was a kid I had a real estate license. I got a license when I was nineteen. And when I was in university and law school I I I I sold real estate and you'd think that a you'd think that a nineteen year old wouldn't be able to sell any houses, but I mean just to give you some some thought, like when I went to uni- or when I went to law school it cost about five hundred bucks a year. And I would make seven thousand dollars a year in, in a summer selling real estate. So I I sold that was pretty serious money back then. Um so I was lucky my brother was a real estate broker. So just as with my wife and the kids, it's my brother that's really behind the so I guess that's luck, right? Um, um, and then I, I didn't want to be a real estate lawyer I didn't do very well I wanted to be a tax lawyer or a litigation lawyer um, and then all of a sudden when I was coming out of the bar admission course the lawyer who was teaching real property law um, went off to to do some overseas volunteer work and they needed somebody to teach the real property law So, so I was like I was, I guess, 25. Um, they gave me a book, a binder, and they told me go teach. Um, so it was quite an experience, but um, it turned me into a real estate lawyer because I would teach this course like every month. And at that stage, you only took the course if you want to start your own brokerage. Mm-hmm. So a lot of kind of look brokers you would know at big companies I taught. They were a lot older than I was, but I taught them, um, and and I all of a sudden, you know, it, it's funny, you, if you're teaching and you, you get asked the same question enough times, you, you sound like you know what you're doing. Um, so I ended up totally by luck building a practice very quickly because I was doing the teaching. Um, so... So in '81, I started I started the firm that we have now. But that was that was total luck. Um I I would never have been a real estate lawyer if I hadn't got asked to teach the course, the uh, real property course. Um, so the next one was persistence. Um, well, I probably did a lot of what I I was super fortunate. I was I was. Really, pretty successful very quickly, um, and I then I then kind of lost focus. Um, I uh, I guess I I owned like 15 properties. We were we were we were doing a condo development. Um, I invested in a, and was helping run a, a an integrated uh, textile manufacturing company. So I was. I was going every which way, um, and then like 1990 came along, and I totally hit the skid. Like mm-hmm. just worst nightmares. Everything went wrong. Just um, so so. I went through a period from 1990 to probably about 1998 or 99 when I was technically bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Right? I was I was a dead man walking. You wouldn't you wouldn't have known it. Um, but I was, uh, so, so the persistence really was, I, some of my colleagues in the same, you know, in the same situation went bankrupt, I didn't, I, I kept going, uh, and I'm glad I did. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it was terrible. I, I, I got to a stage where I, I couldn't think ahead because I could not, I just couldn't see any way out of what, of, of what had happened. Or what I had caused to happen to me by by uh, I, I don't know if you remember that, the, but the, the interest rates went crazy. Um, so so that really was was the persistence. Um, and what was the other one? Discipline.
0: Uh, well, hard work.
1: Hard work. Oh yeah. So so I I learned very early, um, partly because when I was a kid we moved around a lot. So we, we started in Scotland and then we went to South Africa and I got to school in South Africa and all of a sudden I was behind. I was supposed to learn Afrikaans. I didn't know Afrikaans. Um, so I was from, I was coming from behind. So I had to work super hard to catch up. Um, then, um, then we moved back to Scotland, and I then became the kids from South Africa, and, and the South African school system was nowhere near as advanced as the Scottish one, so then I was catching up. They'd done like two years of Latin and three years of French, and I'd done nothing of either. So I, I, I then had to catch up. Then after two years, we came here, and um, when we came here, I, uh, they put me ahead a year um but but i had a whole lot of weaknesses i had a whole lot of gaps and at that school at that stage it was stream so they had basically a b c d e so they not only put me ahead a year they put me in the a stream um and i was so i had to work like crazy so so i i realized early on that i wasn't any smarter than anybody else but so the only way i was going to get ahead was by being By working harder than everybody else, so that was, so that's really been my thing. Is is um, you know there are some people who are super smart and they can they can succeed without having to work hard, Um, but they're very few and far between. Um, But I knew I just had to keep working and grinding it out. So I had no illusions that I was smart, so I could uh, I could leapfrog everybody and you know can read books about working four hours a day but I haven't I haven't been able to do that I I, I get up like I, I can't stay in bed in the morning um, I get I, I get in probably about 730 and I get home maybe 7:30 or eight um, and I I can't stop working I just I I uh, I feel so guilty or I feel like I'm letting somebody down it's a, it's a sickness how
0: yeah well you could even say it's a sickness or a blessing because what it does is Jonathan it keeps you so sharp like there you know as as we get older uh, my experience is people who retire just lose an edge oh
1: know? yeah it's a shame to retire i mean right. that's my my bias yeah. is is it's a pity yeah um, and and we have we, we we have to look at our and this is kind of just the way I look at it, Howard. I may be I may be totally wrong, but um I I have a friend, a good friend, who who started a mortgage company that you would all know the name of. Um, and that mortgage company was owned by was largely owned by by some large life insurance company. So my friend tells me that, that, and this is a good few years ago, they got the the the, the life insurance company decided that they would do a, a life expectancy study on their uh, senior executives. And he, he was a senior executive because he was running the, the mortgage company. Um, and they came back and they told them look, the actuaries think that you've got a 92 year lifespan. And I think at that stage he's probably in his late 40s, mm-hmm. um, and it just gave him a totally different aspect on life, right? Uh, I'm not I'm not 49, and I'm gonna retire in uh, 10 years or 12 years or 13. Um, I'm 49 or 48, and I'm gonna live till I'm 92. Wow! I, I have another 40 something years left, and so he. He went and uh, started his own mortgage company, hmm. uh, which he's doing very well. Um, and he's he's probably in his in his late sixties now, um, but it just gives you a different idea. Um, fascinating. It's, 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 so that's kind of a bias of my mindset that I have. But, but
0: okay, what, what about done. in in your? Let's. It can be any part of your life, but who um, has been the biggest influence?
1: Um, you know, it, it's funny because you, you sometimes don't know at the time who the biggest influence is. Um, and you know, this, this would be outside of immediate family or, or, uh, parents and so on. Sure. Um, but when we came to Canada, we, um... My father had a church that, where they, there was a, there was a very, a very distinct, well, a very rich developer, let's put it that way. And he was not only very rich, but he was very, um, he was very generous as well. He was, and not only was he generous, he was humble. This guy was a, was a great guy. Um, I mean, they say at one stage he owned uh seven miles long by one mile by one mile wide in Scarborough. Like he just owned an awful lot. He owned Don I mean Fleming and Don Mills. Like he, he so he was and and I got fairly close to him. I I used to I used to work for him in the summers, um on his construction site. Um and you know whenever I talked to him about the business and say you, he'd always say we like he'd always, he'd, he'd say to me, "It's our business." Like I was, I was the, I was the kid, sixteen-year-old driving the dump truck, right? And this was the tycoon, buddy. Um, and then I would watch him um, at church, and he would. There was a gap between we had Sunday school and then we had church. It was a twenty-minute gap, and this this tycoon would be walking around. Shaking hands with all the nobodies in the church, right? And and he was so nice to everybody. Um and uh, he he would he would listen to people. He he was never arrogant, he was always polite, he was always self deprecating. Um and and most of all he had the best cars, Howard. Like the best cars. And he'd let me drive him. Like I was 16, 17, 18, I, he let me drive them. Um, um, and uh, he would—he listened to people. He was generous. Uh, he was humble. He, he treated people like people. We—we um, we, at that stage we had this system in the church where um, there were elders, and, and each elder had a district. Maybe two elders for the district. And he and I were the were the elders. And uh we used to drive in his around in his Lincoln Continental Mark Four. And we go see all these people. They were just, you know, they were ordinary it wasn't it wasn't in a great area of town, it was a working class kind of church and we'd be he and I would go and see these people and he was just he was absolutely wonderful. And and uh he never made a big deal about his money. He, he would quietly say, I'll look after that. So much was done anonymously. Um, he was so kind to so many people. Somebody would show up in the church from Ireland or somewhere else, and he'd give them a job on the site. He, he just So so he was probably the biggest influence. That, uh, um, he was the guy I wanted to be like.
0: Wow, I'll never be
1: as rich as he is. Yeah. Yes, he was, but um, hopefully in some other things. Uh, you know, people are people. Uh, yeah, they're not important people and unimportant people. People are like we 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 treat everybody the same. Um, I don't care what they do. Um, and a lot of the people that are not are are not as well off or not as educated. They're, they they're just better people. Um, even, even though they don't have the prestige or the PhDs or the doctors or the lawyers or whatever you want to think about there that So I think that's what he taught me.
0: Um, and he taught uh, you well, Jonathan, because you know when people think about you or talk about you and you know people I know in the in the business, you know there's a whole lot of like for Jonathan Griffiths and uh, you know you, you can there's a whole s- spectrum of lawyers out there. and I think you've just become, a really good uh, uh, representation of that man and the way you've conducted your career. So, you know, compliments to him and to you. I mean, it's, uh, it's not easy in this day and age, but you're doing a great job at it. So,
1: well, I've, you know, we've got great staff. I've been really, really fortunate. They're, they're, they're fabulous. They're, uh, they're self starters. Mm-hmm. and They're the ones bugging me to do things rather than the other way around. and. Uh, and, and we really don't, or we really don't have any kind of a hierarchy here. Doesn't matter whether you're the receptionist or a lawyer. As far as I'm concerned, they're colleagues and they're, they're, uh, so we're very, we're very flat. We don't, uh, we, we value everybody. Um, so, so maybe that's, maybe that's part of, uh, of, of what I learned from him. Um,
0: well, again, you know, this is something that you would, this is the most we've ever talked because we would just see each other in passing in different offices. But this is something that I, I don't know where I learned it from. But my wife, whenever we'd go anywhere, she'd say, you talk to everybody. And uh, I've always felt that I want to talk to everybody because, you you know, it's just, uh, it's just a nice thing to do. People don't expect, people don't expect to be treated with respect, I think. And if you do, you become remarkably noticeable,
1: right? Oh, Absolutely. I mean everybody's shy. Everybody's got some sort of an well, an inferiority complex and, and 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 sometimes it shows by arrogance because it, mm-hmm. it's just covering up, right? It, right. It's right. It's what in Britain they used to call inverted snobbery, right? It, uh, it's uh, Never heard uh, that one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so here we go, John. This is my last question, and it's always my favorite. Um If you could, what would you tell your 20 year old self?
1: It's going to turn out really well.
0: Oh, what a great answer. (laughs) (laughs) Really good way to end it. Perfect, perfect. Good optimism. All right, listen, I know you're a busy guy and I really appreciate the time. Um, I'd love to have you back on in the future as well. So, so thank you. uh, For now, thank you so much. And good luck when your kids see this podcast. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> I may be moving out of the district. No, stay no, where you know. are. You're in a good
0: district. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Stay safe. <laughs> thanks, nice thanks to for having you. me. Okay. Thanks,
1: Adam. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us today. And, and certainly a lot of thanks go out to Jonathan Griffiths. Um, he's a busy man, and I really appreciate the time. If you enjoyed the podcast please like, comment, and subscribe. You can find our podcasts on YouTube, and if you'd like to reach us, you can do it one of two ways. You can email us at info at rewithhd.com, or you can also find us on the web at rewithhd.com. So until next time, be safe, be kind, take care of yourselves, we'll see you next time. Thanks.